Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. Are we in trouble because of Iran? Do you think that the people of Iran are angry with us? And now that Soleimani is dead, and along with him, several of his uh, compatriots, are we in trouble? Do we have a target on our forehead or on our back or on our front just because of that with the people of Iran? Well, the answer to that is a resounding no. They love the West. The people on the ground love the West. Soleimani was a guy who actually killed some of his own people who were protesting against the regime. Remember the um, last week there was a shooting right downtown in Tehran and it killed several people? Well, he was the instigator of that whole thing. He was trying to put down the quote-unquote rebellion. Is it rebellion to fight against something you know is evil? Well, not in my book. But my book doesn't count. What book does? The Bible. Let's just take a look. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 36. It mentions Persia four times. Then in Ezra... Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, verse 8 in chapter 1. Also 3, 7, 4, 3, 4, 5, etc. You can look it up in Strong's Concordance and find out all about King Cyrus. And you remember that the Israelis actually minted a gold coin and a silver coin with King Cyrus on one side or side-by-side side with the image of President Trump. How is that possible? And why did they do that? Look into that. That might be uh, something fun for you to do. But in reality, in my view anyway, it's because the Israelis looked to Cyrus as a good guy because he actually rebuilt the temple or allowed them to go back from captivity into Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. That's pretty fantastic for a, a, an antagonist like a, a, in Iran. In other words, they weren't always our, our, the enemies of the Israelis. But now that Muslimism has taken over, that Islam is the main religion there, and it is the Shiite branch, not the Sunni, and they hate one another, by the way. Sunni is Saudi Arabia, in, in essence. But there's a lot of Sunni Muslims in Iraq. There's also a lot of Shiites and a lot of Kurds. Well... So what? So we have a problem now with not the people on the ground, but the regime. It's the regime those people on the ground are protesting against. They hate it too. They know they're evil. 
and they don't want it. They want to live like the Americans, like the West. The general population, in fact, there is rumor that the Christian church in Iran is the fastest growing church in the world, not the one in China. After all, it's the one in Iran. How can that possibly be? We thought they were our enemies. Well, not so much. They actually look up to us and admire us and want to live like us. They want to even dress like we do. And um, a lot of them are rejecting Muslimism or Islam. They're rejecting it because they finally have the education to look into Islam. And when they see what it really is, they don't want any part of it. It takes them about 15 minutes to learn the sources of where their information is coming from, and they abandon it. It's amazing to me how quickly people see that and abandoned the religion that they grew up with, that their parents still uh, celebrate. I just want to read a few passages in each one of these. In, in the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, Esther, Ezra, and Second Chronicles. And that's all there are under the word of Persia, the name of Persia. And here's what it says in the margin. Elam, see Elam, Persian, an ancient world power located in present day Iran. Second Chronicles uh, 36, starting in uh, 25, the Lord, and I'm reading in the NIV this, this time, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. That would be Jerusalem. Verse 16, But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his own people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of, Bab of the Babylonians who killed their young men with a sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man or young woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Verse 21, The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken in prophecy by Jeremiah. In the first year of King Cyrus, king of Persia, 
in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. And this is what it said. This is what the king of Persia, Cyrus, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea. Anyone of his own people among you, may the Lord his God be with him, let him go up. And that is the end of chapter 36, and that's in Second Chronicles. So from this, you can actually see how the Persians became attached to Israel. They were actually, they became kind of one people. So here's what it says in Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of King Cyrus of Persia to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. Here's what it says. And this is very much like the end of Second uh, Chronicles chapter 36. This is what the king, the King Cyrus of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold and with goods and livestock and with free will offerings for the temple of the God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah, and that's an unquote, by the way, so that's the end of the message from King Cyrus. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests of the Le and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold and goods and livestock and with valuable gifts in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his god, a little g-god. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Meredith, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Silver pans, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Matching silver bowls, 410. Other articles, 1,000. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Sheshbazar brought all these along when the exiles came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. 
And then it gives a list in chapter 2 of the people and their names. But um, you can read that for yourself. Let's see where else we can go to learn something about Persia. You've probably heard about Cyrus and then King uh, Darius or Darius and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, and then Darius after him. Artaxerxes, king of Persia, mentioned again here. And then dropping down to Esther, Persia and Media. The Media would be the Medes, the Medes and Persians spoken of in the book of Daniel. And then we go to Ezekiel, chapter 27 and verse 10. Here's what it says. 27.10 Ezekiel. Men of Persia, Lydia, and Put served as soldiers in your army. They hung their shields and helmets on your walls, bringing you splendor. Men of Arvad and Helic manned your walls on every side. And men of Gamad, they were in your towers. They hung their shields around your walls. They brought your beauty to perfection. Tarshish did business with you because of your great wealth, and they exchanged silver and iron and tin and lead for your merchandise. Greece also and Tubal and Meshach traded with you, and they uh, exchanged slaves and articles of bronze for your wares. Men of Bethogarma, I believe that's in Turkey, Exchanged workhorses, warhorses, and mules for your merchandise. The men of Rhodes, I think that's part of Greece, traded with you, and many coastlands were your customers. They paid you in ivory, tusks, and ebony wood. Aram did business with you because of your many products, and they exchanged turquoise and purple fabric embroidered work, fine linen, coral, and rubies for your merchandise. Judah and Israel traded with you, and they exchanged wheat from Mananth and confections like honey, oil, and balm for your wares. Damascus, Syria, because of your many products and great wealth of goods, did business with you in wine from Helbon, and wool from Zahar. Danites and Greeks from Uzal bought your merchandise. They exchanged wrought iron, cassia, and calamus for your wares. Dedan, now that's a city in Saudi Arabia, traded in saddle blankets with you. Arabia and all the princes of Qadar were your customers. They did business with you in lambs and rams and goats. The merchants of Sheba and Ramah traded with you and your merchandise. For your merchandise, they exchanged all the finest kinds of spices and precious stones and gold. Haran, Kanath, and Eden were merchants as well, along with Sheba, Asher, and Kilmod. They all traded with you in your marketplace. They traded with you for beautiful garments, blue fabric, embroidered work, and multicolored rugs, 
with cords twisted and tightly knotted. And it goes on and on and on and on, all the way down to uh, chapter 28. This is in the book of Ezekiel, a prophet of God. But you can still see through here the thread that ties Judah and Israel to the Persian Empire and even to Syria and parts of Turkey and Saudi Arabia. You see, they all at that time were living together in peace as fellow merchants. So my point is, it's not the Iranian people themselves that hate Israel, that think Israel is the little Satan, while the United States of America is the big Satan, even though that's what they say uh, by the regime. The regime says one thing, the people don't buy it. They're not buying into that. That's why they're protesting in the streets. And today they're rejoicing and partying and giving each other gifts because Soleimani is dead. So let us not hold a grudge against the people of Iran, but their ideology and their regime, which tries to bully the people into uh, believing it and trusting that that's the truth about God and that's the way he is, according to them. But our God is not like that. He loves all people, and he doesn't want them to die. But he's also a God of justice. Now, what do I mean by justice? Well, those who don't repent and turn back toward the one and only true God and hold to their pagan beliefs and worship system, which worships idols, which can't see or hear or walk or crawl or talk, they worship a false god. It's not the one and only true God. And if they won't give it up, there's only one fate that happens to them. They die forever. And they do not come back to life. They're not burning in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. The Bible says no such thing, period. You can look. I know many of you will disagree with me that there certainly is a hellfire to pay. Well, in my view, that hellfire does more damage than suffering. In other words, it puts a final end to them. Why do I think that? Well, let's just flip on over to Jeremiah. Chapter 51, starting in verse 36. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Now, see, I don't care about what people say. I don't care about what the Pope says. And I don't care about what Billy Graham says or any other TV preacher. I want to know what the Lord says. And here's what he says. See, I will defend your cause and avenge you. I will dry up her sea, speaking of Babylon, and make her springs dry. Babylon will become a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals an object of horror and scorn, a place where no one lives. Her people will all roar like young lions, and they will growl like lion cubs. But while they are aroused, I will set a feast for them and make them drunk, 
so that they shout with laughter and then sleep forever and not awake, declares the Lord. Now we've got God's word on it, and he signs off on it. Then dropping down to uh, verse uh, 57, it says much the same thing. I will make her officials and wise men drunk and her governors and officers and warriors as well. They will sleep forever and not awake, declares the king, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Did you realize that was in the Bible? Well, I wasn't taught that as a child ever. We never even read any of the Old Testament. We just held to the New Testament, these little pocket testaments put out by the Gideons. It's not in the New Testament that way. In fact, they twist those words around so badly that it makes people actually think that there is a hellfire coming that will not give justice, but cruelty. It paints God as this monster who burns little kids or anybody that wouldn't repent, not to death, but forever. No, it's not in there that way. But that's another topic for another day. I just wanted to point out to you that that is what's going to happen to Babylon and the Babylonians. The Babylonians were idol worshipers who made their own gods out of metal. They called one of them Chemosh and another one Moloch. And they would put their little babies inside the belly of this beast and cook it alive while it screamed. And while they watched it perish, they would beat a big kettle drum or a series of them so that they couldn't hear their babies scream. Now, do you really think that God would do that to people forever and ever and ever and ever? That's blasphemy, my friends. And it's not reality. That's not who God is. Justice to him means a final end to the problem. And justice for some, or for one, is mercy to many. It's mercy to many because someone did someone wrong, and they did it for some foul reason. They deserve justice if they don't repent. The ones who deserve the mercy are the, the family members that they did this to. And so you can see that justice to one is mercy to many. And that's what God's really after, mercy to many. I don't have a problem with the people of Iran. One of the um, most interesting experiences I've ever had was while I was working for the U.S. government, someone came up to my window seeking information about a piece of property. He was from Iran. So, oh, this is the first encounter I ever had with a real Iranian. I said, can I just ask you something? What's it really like in your country? And he said, well, in the big towns, in, in that kind of uh, environment, 
people are pickpockets and thieves, and and uh, they're. He he brought up the idea of the Indiana Jones scene where he meets this black-robed swordsman with two swords, and he's laughing, and then uh, Indiana Jones. He, you know, the guy's whirling around his swords and getting ready to chop his head off. Indiana just pulls out his pistol and blows the guy away and starts looking around in the crowd. You notice the crowd. He said, remember that crowd scene? They're pickpocketing everybody. And he said, it's just like that in our country, which surprised me a lot. But, you know, it's not like a Muslim won't talk to you. You just have to give the people a chance. And they need a chance to learn the truth about who God really, truly is. And to express our faith that Jehovah is not like Allah. Allah is an imaginary God. So we don't have to worry about Iran. Now, yes, they may cause trouble. They may cause trouble for Iraq, for Israel, for Saudi Arabia. They may be the ones that are going to start World War III. It's bound to happen. God wrote it in the Bible. So we can count on an escalation of troubles. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 24 said this. In verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. So, that's what we need to do right now. See to it. We don't panic. We're not alarmed. Such things must happen, he says, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Now, see, this is an ex- escalation. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do I fear Iran? I don't like Muslims. I don't like their ideology, that is. I love them as people. They're great people, but they just need the Lord, same as me. I need him too. And so does every human on the planet. Well, if you'd like more information, go to my website, itellwhy.com. I don't have anything to sell. I don't want your email. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm trying to give you the truth and build your faith. There's lots of videos to see, links to YouTube and whatnot. So go there, itellwhy.com. Until next time, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Don't fear Iran. 
pray for them.